Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers, and welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 126. The day of recording is Sunday, September 8th, and my guest was joining me from Kirkuk, Iraq. That's really exciting for me because I have not had anybody on this podcast before who was representing Iraq. My guest's name is Sarah Abdullah. Similar to Diavio and to Thinzar, who I had on the podcast in the past, she's somebody who won an Emerging Young Leaders Award in the U.S. A very simple way of explaining that award is these are people who, or like the title says, are emerging young leaders on a global scale, but they're people who work in humanitarian issues. Many of them work with refugees in promoting diversity and peace among the diverse peoples within their countries. So Sarah, like I mentioned, is from Kirkuk in Iraq. That is north of Iraq. And there are many Kurdish people in Kirkuk. And it's a place that's been sort of contested between the Kurdistan region and people who want it to be part of the more uh, Iraq proper or more formal Iraq. I know that's probably a very simplified way of looking at the politics in Iraq. But that's one of the reasons why I was really excited to have her on today because I need to be educated on Iraq. And I think a lot of people need to be educated on Iraq. So in addition to providing us with that education, uh, we talked a lot about the work that she's done in the humanitarian fields. So Sarah owns a, or she founded an organization called COCAR. And there's a bit of a write-up here that I thought that I should read. It says... When ISIS were making terror among the minorities in Kirkuk and attacking ethnic and religious groups in Iraq and Kirkuk province, Sarah was leading Kokar to promote counterterrorism, peace, and tolerance among diverse groups in Kirkuk. In addition, Sarah and Kokar helped Kirkuk communities to strengthen peaceful coexistence as well as safe return for the IDPs to home. Those are displaced peoples. Sarah and Kokar have been distributing cloth, food, and books to more than 200 immigrant families in Kirkuk and redesigning the Central Library in Kirkuk. Really amazing work. She's also done something uh, that we didn't talk about, but she's part of a program to plant 10,000 trees in Kirkuk. And, you know, in a place where she even talked about herself, there had not been a history of volunteerism and humanitarian work, really. And if we're being honest, like a place where... Uh, historically, or at least within the, maybe historically isn't fair, but within the least, at least the last couple of decades, uh, there's been a lot of violence. And, you know, doing this type of work can be something that puts either a literal or a metaphorical target on you. So uh, she's an amazing person and she's doing amazing work in Iraq. And I am proud that I now know her and hopefully get to meet her one day, either in Turkey or in Iraq. So please go to the show notes for this episode as always, and you can find links to Sarah's social media and to the organizations that she's done work with. Please give them a follow, uh, give them, uh, you know, talk about them and help to spread the word. Also, if you are able to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon. That is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. That goes a long way to... Keep these episodes coming, the education, the entertainment, whatever it is uh, that you listen to this podcast for. A little housekeeping, 
uh, we did this by call. Actually, the the sound, the call quality was remarkably well, considering it was uh, my Brooklyn apartment up, you know, across the across the globe to Iraq. There's just one moment where it cuts out for a second, and you hear a sort of beep as the call reconnected at like 36 minutes or so. But otherwise, it's quite good. Uh, but I would recommend, as always, for these episodes that I record with a call, to like sort of minimize the background noise and, and really focus in on the things that she's saying. I make sure that I keep these, you know, 60 minutes and under um, because I know everybody in the world is busy um, and I really want you to be able to listen in to focus on what they're saying. So, all right, folks, you're going to hear my little interlude music here, courtesy of The Wizard, and then check out this conversation with Sarah. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. This is really exciting. Yeah, thank you. I've never had someone on the podcast who could represent Iraq. So, um, yeah, it's really great to have you. Yeah, thanks for reaching out. I mean, if it wasn't for your message, I would have never known. So, Yeah. So I guess I'll explain to people how I heard about you. In the past, when I was in Jakarta, I had somebody on the podcast named Diavio. And then two weeks ago, about two weeks ago, I had somebody on the podcast from Myanmar named Thinzar. And all three of you won an award for your, for your humanitarian work and the service that you do. Um, and that was the Emerging Young Leaders Award. So I saw you and I was like, oh my God, yeah. I really want to talk to her about her work. So yeah, really, really excited to have you. Yeah, thank you. So I'm trying to, like, I was thinking about where I should start with this. And I think I want to start with uh, where you grew up, because I saw something that you had written uh, on your blog page. And you wrote that when you came to the U.S., you wanted to represent Iraq and show people, uh, like, the real Iraq, the Iraq that that you know. And I think for most Americans especially people from my generation, from our generation, uh, what they know of Iraq is what they've seen in the media and in movies, and most of it is war, if we're being honest about what people's perception is. Yeah, yeah, I see, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, um, well, if I had to start from where I'm from, and the reason why I wrote that. um, So basically, when I wrote that blog, it was like, it's, a, it's an old one. I just copied and pasted it on my blog because I wanted to be there. I wrote that, I think, back in 2014. And when I first went to you know, the ILO program, Iraqi Young Leader Exchange Program, I, it was my first time coming to America. And it was like my first time you know, being in America and wanting, having this urge to represent Iraq. And, you know, and like, I did have a lot of, in spite of, like, I would ask people, what, what is the first thing you you hear when you, like, what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you say the word Iraq? And people would literally say wars, destruction, 
people walking on camels and and like that's what I you know I would expect from them to know. Um, well, I mean it's quite different. Back in 2013, 2014, even 2015, Iraq was was kind of what people was assuming and what was like what they see because I remember most of my time in high school. I would just go to high school and go home because it wasn't actually safe to go out and have fun and, you know, go out with their friends. So it wasn't, it was, I mean, what, what a lot of people here said in America about Iraq, that has been a reality in Iraq. And that is something that still goes on in some places in Iraq. I'm not saying that is not correct and that doesn't happen. And me saying that I want to represent Iraq, show them, we live in heaven and we don't have all these wars. Well, we do have some, we do have, like we do have that something that occurs. But it is getting better, especially after 2015. Um, especially maybe because I had the different um, uh, experience. Maybe I was, I wasn't like living in the worst place in Iraq. So for me it was different. Um, so I live in Kirkwood. It's kind of in the, it's in the north of Iraq. and. Usually, it's like it's below Kurdistan, if you know, yeah. and it's kind of safer than, uh, like, back in 2013, 2014, it's it like it was safer than Baghdad and all those places that had that that have had it worse than where I was from. And for me, I was fortunate enough to be in a high school. It was like, it was a good high school. It was a private high school, secondary and high school, and I was, I was in a especially in Kerkuk, we have people from all different different ethnic groups. So I've had it better than people because I, my high school was good. It was a private one. My parents were paying a good amount of money for my education. And I've had, like, even though back in 2013, 2014, my whole high school, secondary school, and especially, like, primary school, too, it was like, it's a lot of things happened back in my childhood. But the thing is, um, like we had school activities that we would go to. I was in a band and like people would never imagine yeah. something like a girl from Iraq being like, I, I had a rock band, me and my you know friends. So, I mean, that's why I say I'm fortunate enough to be having a good childhood, having a good high school memories and all that. So I did want to show that that was something that I was really excited about. And back in the days, just, just for, um, the sake of this podcast, I think that I was wearing the headscarf because I strongly believe that every woman should wear the headscarf. And I was like, with my pink scarf in my rock band with my girls, you know. And my dream was to be a drummer. And I did want to show that part of, you know, me and my friends and how much we're having fun. And yes, I live in Iraq and things are going wrong, but, you know, you can have fun too. So that was something that really motivated me, especially like, with my first time going to the U.S., so, you know, when it's your first time presenting your country to a place where you've never been to, like, I think you really have this idea that you want to show them the opposite of how they think it is. So it's like kind of a challenge for you. Yeah, thank you for yeah, sharing. So. Thanks for sharing that. That's really cool. <laughs> I'm wondering, yeah. before coming to the U.S., what your perception was of the U.S., because... You know, at least from from reading, you know, I, I haven't been to Iraq, I haven't been uh, to yeah. the Middle East at all. But 
from what I read, you hear things about like, you know, collateral damage and things like that, right? Is that what they use in quotes? But really, like when the US does a drone strike and there's civilian people who are killed and many civilian people who are killed. And that's something that, you know, makes people angry, can make people turn radical, can, you know, uh, further the cause of a group like ISIS. Uh, it, was there a general consensus among Iraqis of like what Americans were and what America is? Well, I mean, that's a very tricky question. And I do, I do want to go about it like in the clearest way possible. Because like in Iraq, especially where I'm from in Kirkuk, we have people from all different ethnic backgrounds. And I think a lot of the thing why some Iraqis might not like America is because so back in the day, Saddam was the president of Iraq. And Saddam was good to a, you know, a group of people, and he wasn't good to another group. And what the U.S. did, I think, I mean, and even though a lot of you know, unfair things happened, and I mean, it's war. Things can go really wrong. And you can't, I don't want to point fingers at anyone because unfair things did happen. You know, I don't want to be someone being like, oh, they did this and that. But the point is, so Saddam was against a group of people. And when um, the U.S. Army came and all that, um, the people that Saddam was being good to, they didn't like. And they're still the people who blame America for the falling of Iraq. Because I do remember, um, I still ask my parents, you know, they both finished, they both engineers, and they were in Baghdad um, University. And they said back in the day, people would come from all over the world just to have education in Iraq. And for me, hearing that now, it's, it's like, why? But they would say back in the day, Saddam, I mean, education was good. And like, there were, there were a lot of things that Iraq had now that now we don't. And people do blame the U.S. for it because if it wasn't for them, I mean, maybe they would have continued. Maybe Saddam would have continued doing what he's doing. But what happened in what happened when Saddam came? I mean, I'm a Kurdish person, and um, a lot of Kurdish people weren't giving weren't given the right because Iraq because Saddam didn't support Kurdish people. And what America did for us is actually I mean, now we have Kurdistan. If it wasn't for America, I don't think we would ever have the right to have our own flag and raise it and wear our own music and be really proud about it. So it really depends on who you're asking, but generally, it's it's a, I don't know it's it's really about who you're asking. But the thing is, we do I mean a lot I mean a lot of Iraqis and people around the world they do perceive America as a you know land of opportunities, land of freedom, you know somewhere where there are more opportunities and and a lot of youth like they're really trying to ask Americans and be American, even though. They're Iraqis. And, but you, again, you do find a group of people saying, some people actually think your identity as an Iraqi is like connected to you hating America. You know what I mean? So it can go both ways. Yeah. You've mentioned a couple of times about uh, how diverse Kirkuk is. And that's something yeah. that I was reading up a little bit in preparation for this, uh, for this conversation that I'm having with you. Uh, Am I correct in thinking that uh, a lot of Kurdish people 
sort of became refugees and had to leave the area? Well, I mean, it sort of depends on when you're asking. Like, I mean, in back in Saddam's time, yes, my my parents they they even talk about how they had to move to Iran walking. And it wasn't just their family. It was like tons and tons of Kurdish family wow. because they didn't want to be killed. Like, yeah. So it was, it's a, I don't know why people don't talk about it. That's the reality. It's something that happened. But again, it was like, I don't know. I don't know like how long ago, but like 30 years ago, maybe like 40 years ago. It was like back in Saddam time. It wasn't now. But is that part of part of the work that you've done, Sarah? Is I know you've done a lot of work in, um, you know, promoting acceptance of diversity. Is repatriating people to Kirkuk and Kurdistan is that part of the work that you've done? Well, I mean, part of the work that I've done is related to what is happening now, and it's uh, because we have Kirkuk, and where, as I mentioned before. It's a diverse place. We have Kurdish people, we have Arabic people, we have Turkmen, we even have Turkish people. Um, and it's kind of like those groups, they're kind of used to just be together so that they wouldn't mix. And it's really hard to explain it, but part of the work that I've done, um, so it was like, I started working very early after high school. I started working, and when I was working, uh, I was being an English teacher, Turkish teacher, art teacher, because, you know, I had some skills in those uh, languages and stuff. And I did see, I could see how just because I'm Kurdish, I'm being treated differently, and just because someone is Arabic. And, like, I, w I would even see it in my students. Like, I would have this uh, Arabic child, and he wouldn't just talk to the Kurdish people because he would be like, they're Kurdish. Like, what is happening? Like, what do you mean? You're not talking to them because of their ethnic background. And that was something that I was saying a lot. And then it was like me and my friends, we started doing some volunteering work for, it was like a school and we painted it. And, um, and then like we started posting it on Facebook and then we said whoever wants to, a lot of people say they want to join and we were like, okay, if we did like another activity next time, we're going to tell you. And we started doing a lot of volunteering work. And and the thing is, we do have volunteering work in Kirkuk, but it's, it's like, it's not local. It's only organizations that are far and like you as a person from your neighborhood, you would never know that you can actually go and volunteer and fix something and do something and maybe, you know, because we didn't, we just, like, we just didn't have that. And so moving on, it was like me and my friends, and we just decided to, uh, to do a volunteering group. And then it grew super fast. And one thing that we made sure it has is diversity. And especially because it was like the time when ISIS was coming, and, you know, what is ISIS doing? It's literally separating people and, you know, growing fears and, so that you wouldn't go to that group and that group wouldn't come to each other. So it was like a time where people started going back to their old, I mean, started going to their old patterns of like, there is no way I'm going to be mixed with that people. And that's the thing. So when we started those activities, I would always go there 
and I was the only female among, among all my friends. And they were all like master's degree holders. I was the only university girl with them. And, and I always made sure to be there because um, a lot of families don't let their daughters go out and work or it's not, it's not, the thing is, it's not about like, they don't let it. They don't think it's safe for a girl to do that. So it's more of like that's a man's work and you don't do it. And that's like one of the major things I really try to do and be there. And I have like little sisters, I would always bring them. I would, you know, try to involve as much as female as possible. And that made it, made it like, so that like girls would see me and then they would come. And that just made it grow more and made it like more okay for females, especially Kirkuk is a small city. And it just made it like, safer for them to come and that's one part and the second part is the diversity that we always try to make it a part of so we had a lot of refugees because of the ISIS um, uh, situation a lot of people from Musa coming to Kirkuk so they're like initially displaced people and we did um, we distributed like clothes we distributed like basic food like rice and tea and just like some and like you know those basic materials and we always made sure that we have a diverse team and everyone is doing it. Like, so they would see us. And that's the thing. Most of the time we would just talk in English because that's the language that we all understand. Like, you don't need to switch it to Arabic to, and then Kurdish and then to Turkmen. You know, like it, just, it just gets easier for us. But, like, so I think people seeing how we're a diverse group and there are people in need and they seeing us that, you know, a Turkmen can't help an Arab. Those things that, like, we're doing it over and over again, those things broke the barriers. And us, like, doing a lot of activities, a lot of activities where we would involve everyone, that was, like, also a big part. And we also did um, World Feast Day, and it was, like, the first time we're doing it in Iraq. So, and that really had a lot of people coming, and it's, it's kind of... It's not super rare, but it is something when we have it, when we have like a big event and people are not fighting. So, <laughs> so that was good. Wow. Uh, Sarah, are you able to hold the mic up a little bit? It sounds best kind of when you're leaning forward a bit. Is that the mic? Yeah. Is it good now? Yeah, that sounds good. It's, it's been pretty good okay. the whole time, but um, no, no, that's fine. Uh, so you mentioned a couple times within that, that... Um, you know, it might have been unsafe for women to be participating in this or to be out alone. Uh, something I've experienced in uh, traveling around the world is that places with uh, traditional beliefs and older beliefs and often tied to religion, there are like really strict gender roles, right? Uh, so I'm wondering if when you say it's unsafe, is there violence against women or are the gender roles so specific that uh, people think that there's men's work and there's women's work? I think, like, it's not that there's, like, gender-based violence. It's not that, oh, my God, you can't be a female and go there. They're going to hate you, girl. You know, it's not, like, that extreme. But it's more of, like, it's, it's like, I think it's, it's not culture, and it's for me, it's kind of like hard to explain it. Um, but it's not, it's not that it is like unsafe 
physically, but it's more of like parents really want to make sure that the girl is good and she also she doesn't feel like someone want, wants to do something with her or like something is going to happen. It's just like walking in at night alone, you know, like it's not that someone is going to do anything to you, but it could be unsafe. And I think that's the whole situation with females. And it's, it's more of like the NGO sector, um, maybe like it's kind of like a tab. It's not like it's a taboo thing, but it could be. Some families are like, well, why would you work at an NGO? Like you shouldn't do it as a female because... It's just like man's word. It could be like, it's really hard for me to explain, but it's not like gender-based violence. Okay, no, I think I think I follow. Um, so if you were to sort of highlight, because you, you do work that encompasses a lot of different things. I've seen that you even, I think you're going to school for dentistry work, if I'm... If that's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, well... I- it's weird. <laughs> if volunteerism is a newer thing, like you were mentioning, what are sort of maybe like the top three issues that, that you're working for that you think uh, need to be enhanced or fixed or changed in Iraq? Well, I mean, um, the volunteering thing, that's what I started with. So, like, I started working, and then doing my work, it, I mean... It was like me and my friends, and we did volunteering, and then we ended up with um, our volunteering institute. So that was like that was like the gate for me to see like our community and how, like, like I always say, like for me, my high school, you know, years and all that. It was like I was in a bubble, you know, I wasn't living in like the reality of Iraq. So once I finished high school. It was like for me going to actual reality and what is happening around me. But like I would say, like I started with volunteering, and it was like that's like the oldest thing I've done. Like I worked, and then after work, I did like my volunteering work. And currently, currently I work more with like youth and um, and also public speaking and leadership. So we have Toastmasters International in Kirkuk. And that's what I'm, like, that's what I'm, like, well, I think we started our first meeting yesterday, a year ago. So it has been, like, my work for a year now. And that's what I've been kind of focusing on. And before that, I have worked with other NGOs. So, yeah, and I'm a dentistry student, so I know it's, like, it's so different. But, like, it's, like, I love dentistry. I love the work, and I also love this NGO thing, and, and especially women's rights. Like, everyone is like, they're like, Sarah, oh my God, don't approach her. She's going to bond you because she's all about women's rights, women's rights. Yeah, because she's always screaming that. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, sometimes I'm like, should I just leave dentistry? But then I love that too. So it's, it's something I have to decide. I mean, let me graduate and then I'll see. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so then tell me about how you were identified for the award. And then I believe you did a bit, uh, I think as part of it, there was like a bit of an exchange program in the U S. Can you talk to me about your experiences with that? Um, okay. So my first time going to the U S to the U S was back in 2013. It was like the Iraqi young leader exchange program. It was just a program I applied with my friends. I had no idea 
what was it. But it was like a very, very unique experience for me. I think it's really clarified a lot of things. And it's like, it's always good to travel and see another culture. Especially like back in 2013, Iraq was not like. Now, Kirkuk is different. Back in 2013, it was like, I mean, I wouldn't go out. It wasn't safe. It wasn't something like, it was just like a closed box. You would never be able to do something different. Um, so me, from that closed box going to the U.S. was like, and so I said, holy wonder, what is happening? Like, what is happening? What is this? <laughs> and, and I do think it was like, I, I had to do, like for me at the beginning, it was hard because it's my first time traveling. And I think it, it does happen to a lot of other, you know, it's something normal that when it's your first time traveling, you really hold on to your culture and you just want to, because that's your identity, you know, that's what you think, that's what you think, that's who you are and, and all that. But then like, it took me time, it took time for me to kind of open up and to observe and, you know, kind of digest the other culture too. So it was really unique and beautiful. And I'm, so that was like my first time going to the US. And my second time was during the Emerging Young Leader Award. And, and like one of the main things we did with, um, with our volunteering institute is like, we've never had volunteering in Kirkuk. And now just like this year, a friend of mine opened his own volunteering group. And another friend of mine invited me to give like a small training for the volunteering group. And like, it's so wonderful to see how it's growing and how, and like, we didn't have that. We didn't have, the youth didn't have a safe, safe space where they can go and hang out with their friends. They can express and do things and color walls and, you know, do fun things that's also serving people. There's also like you're, you're spending your time doing something different than going to a restaurant or going bowling or watching a movie, you know? So it was like, it, it's, I love how it's becoming a trend and yeah. And I think uh, a big part of my award was like starting the volunteering trend. And aside from my other work with the other NGOs and, um, the award was, it was like for people who are young and I'm still young. So I think that's also part of why I received the award is because, uh, in, I mean, this year, even this year, um, this past summer, I was working with Legacy International for the Global Youth Village Program back in USA, in Virginia. And again, like it was like another whole experience for me because I stayed there for two months. And it was wonderful. I, I'm really thankful for all of that. I, I really lost track of the question. What was the question, man? No, no. <laughs> I think he answered it well. Um, so then sort of on the reverse, right? I'm not certain, you know, there was a time when, uh, Baghdad was a place that received a lot of tourism. I mean, we're going back decades at this point. Um, and so I, I'm not sure if at the current time, if there still is a tourist industry, but if somebody were to come to Kirkuk, uh, what types of things would they expect? And what do you like to do? And I ask that because I live in New York, which is one of the most diverse cities in the world. 
Um, but yeah. you know, we have, I could, I could 20 minute subway ride from any food in the world, from the people who come from those countries who make it, it's authentic, it's close to the source. It's amazing. But if we're talking about a place like Iraq or even Iran, like I, I don't have access to those cultures here. So like, where would you go out to eat? What would you be eating? What would you take people to see? Um, I mean, as I said before, Kirkuk is small. Like this year, we did our first like cinema place. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And for most of the time, if I want to go and have fun, like I would go to Erbil. I wouldn't, I mean, maybe like in Kirkuk, I would hang out with my friends. And like, for me, Kirkuk is more of like my woodwork place and my university place. Um, but if you ask me, um, like we do have, we have an old um, kitadel that people go to. Um, we have restaurants, we have like cultural food and like the food is so different. Like you go to Turkey, it's a different food. You go to Egypt, it's a different food, but like it's the same thing, but in a different way. I'm just like, how can I do that? It's just so <laughs> weird. Like it's like we have kebab everywhere. We have kebab in the whole Middle East right. and then the Iraqi kebab is different. The Jordanian kebab is different. And just like, it's just the same food, bro. Like how, and like, like we because, I don't know, maybe because we're part of the Middle East, but, like, we do fight when, like, biryani is ours, and Indians are like, no, it's ours. I'm just like, like, we do have a lot of shared foods, and I think the food culture is big. People here love food. I think because we don't have a lot of other things to be busy with, so we have food, and we're always cooking, and it's, like, a big thing. The food has to be good. And it's, it's different in the U.S. I know when I was, you know, this summer, like, everything in the U.S., the, you know, the taste is less, you know what I mean? The sugar is just normal. So it's not like we have, like, strong sugar and the tea is super, and every food is just like, God, tons of flavors. Yeah, so I think the food is, like, the main thing. Oh, and also, um, Kirkwood being so diverse. So we have, I, I remember the other day, I mean, last year, I had an interview and I talked about how Kirkuk is like the mini Iraq because we do have all the culture diversities. We have people from all different, like we have all the ethnic backgrounds in Kirkuk too. So we have, so when we have like um, traditional dress day, I wear Kurdish dress. My friend wears hair treatment dress and this guy wears, I don't know what. And it's, just, it's so beautiful to see all that diversity and people actually being together. And it's so strange. Like you go to Kurdistan, and you would find more Kurdish people who don't like Arabs than you would find someone from Kirkuk. We're just like, they're our brothers, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we live together. What do you mean? And, and, that's, and that's like something you only find in Kirkuk, even though we should be that city that's fighting a lot because everyone is here. But, and that's the thing. That's one thing that people don't notice. And back in my interview, I said, Kirkuk is the mini Iraq. If you can manage that, then you can manage Iraq too, because we do have everyone there. And like, I don't know, it, it caused a lot of um, people hating on that because they were like, and that's something that happens with Kirkuk. Kurdish people, they want Kirkuk to be part of Kurdistan and the other groups, other ethnic backgrounds, they want Kirkuk to be part of Iraq. Yeah, and we're in the middle. So whatever happens, we I mean we take the we take their guilt, you know, man. Like 
things happen just because they're fighting over that. I mean, like, it shouldn't happen here, you know, it should happen elsewhere, but yeah, it's unfair, but it happens. So I'm a little bit, uh, or a lot bit, ignorant of, you know, uh, politics in Iraq, unfortunately. When you talk yeah. about Kurdistan, like, how how is Kurdistan in, in regards to, like, political borders? It's not, a, it's not its own sovereign nation. It's part of Iraq. But is it it's a, its own district? Or, like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah. It's more of, like... Um Kurdistan district, you know, it has its own borders and like Erbil, Suleimania and Dhok, that's Kurdistan. And, um, you know, because of all the political problems we have lately, not lately, like last year, especially like because of we, the Kurdish people, we wanted Kirkuk to be part of, not all of us though, I mean, some, some Kurdish people or like a lot of Kurdish people, they want to be part of Kurdistan because it is safer in Kurdistan and the economics is better in Kurdistan. Um, at least like compared to some Iraqi cities. And that's the thing. People are like, a lot of Kurdish people don't consider Kurdistan to be part of Iraq because we, it's, it's more of like, it's kind of our identity. Like we want our own country. You know, we're like, and I think it has a lot of roots and it has a lot of reasons to do with Saddam because he wasn't always accepting of the Kurdish people. And I do have my parents saying, like, a lot of, a lot of like, terrible things happened just because they were Kurdish people. And, 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 I, and I think that's what is happening now. Then those, like, the roots of these problems, we still have them. And we as generations, we're, it's kind of like we're still dealing with that too. Just because we were too afraid and we never had an identity. And, and like, we weren't always free to talk about it we're like we really want to be out of it and we just want our own country wow i hope this isn't like a, an ignorant or offensive question i don't mean it that way but no, no, it's fine. It, do you get many tours like uh, would it be okay for like at, at this current time for an american like myself to come visit kirkuk or kurdistan well, I mean, I mean, I would love to. I mean, I, and that's the thing. It's so like, you know, especially this year, I was like, I had like a lot of people and we were like working with legacy. So we had people coming from different countries. And like, it's really like, imagine being from a country and like, I mean, I can't say, hey, I wish you could come to Iraq because everyone is afraid of it. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, if I had to meet a friend of mine, I maybe I had, I mean, I'm people... Maybe it's because of people are not very, you know, educated about it. But it's like very sad for me. It's more of like, it's like I have a house and it's burning and I can't invite people to my house. You know what I mean? But uh-huh. I do want people to come to my house. And yeah, it's so sad for me. Like I never get to like explain that. But like we do have foreigners coming, especially with NGOs and all that. Like people do come to Kirkuk, people do come to Kurdistan. It's easier and Easier slash, I think, for foreigners. I mean, I always see easier and safer to be in Kurdistan because I don't want to be responsible for anything happening, even though I don't think, like, anything could happen. Um, like, just today, my cousin, not my cousin, some of my relatives, they were, like, coming from Australia. So it is safe, and you can actually come. And But just people don't, it's like, 
a lot of foreigners don't come because they're afraid. Because it's Iraq. Yeah. And I, like, I guess I understand the fear both from, you know, realistically what's happened over the past two decades, but then also just sort of, again, like the, the version of Iraqi history that we get is, you know, in the media and in, you know, big Hollywood movies and things like that. And they have to dress it up and make it, make it sexy and exciting and like all this, all this violence, right? Because that's what, that's what sells in the media. But yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, I, I mean, I'm one of those people that would love to, to see every country someday. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm going to circle back to something you mentioned before, because you said you primarily work right now with youth, uh, with young people mm-hmm. and something I've noticed again in traveling and in reading is that often people who get involved in violence and become radicalized and, you know, would join a group such as ISIS or people who are poor, uh, lack resources, lack access to resources, um, and then often people who lack education because they're more easily influenced, um, you know, by a mentor or something like that. Uh, Is that part of the work that you do? Are you trying to um, educate young people? Are you trying to give people access to education and resources and things like that? Or are there other groups within Iraq that are trying to do that for people? Well, I mean, um, before I did try to, well, I mean, education and Iraq, we do have, and I think that's something people really don't know is like Iraq is really, really diverse. So a lot of those ideas that a lot of like people have about Iraq, it could be applied to some other parts of Iraq. And the thing is like, this is, this is like podcast. I don't want to say what, what parts because I don't want to be, you know, what I need. But that's the thing. Um, so education, I mean, it is really increasing in Iraq. And I think, um, especially now it's kind of becoming like a trend for you to finish university. And like, like, people don't really talk about how much education has increased. Like, my, my dad, he says, like, back in the... I mean, now he only has, like, eight friends who have finished university at his time. You know, eight friends with, like, university degrees. But, like, now all of my friends are at university. Or at least, like, the institute and they're... Or, like, like minimum, minimum, that's finished their high school. And they're trying, you know, to get... I don't know, go to a course or something. Because... It's kind of becoming like respect. People don't really respect you so much or like they would give you some other work that you wouldn't want to do and that they don't really pay you well. If you haven't finished like your education, at least like, you know, if you haven't like finished at least like a a degree or something, you know, like for the most part of your life and education. I'm part of what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like, I'm working with you and... It is like, it's kind of strange for me to say, but like, because of all the groups we have in Iraq and because of like, it's more of like, we've always been identified group-wise. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have a lot of people looking at themselves individually. We don't have a lot of people. And it does happen. Like, we don't have a lot of opportunities. Finding work is really hard. Going to, like, finding work is hard. Like, 
a lot of opportunity. We don't have we don't have a lot of resources. We don't have a lot of opportunity, and that goes for men and women. And and like we do a lot of for like a lot of people, they just see themselves as groups. They don't see themselves as an individual, as someone with like unique ideas and identity, and because they don't have a place to express it, or maybe like it's, it's more of like our community. We've just like been blind, blind into all of that. So um, part of, and that's that's why like I really believe in Toastmasters because we have like our members coming and they do talk about themselves. They make a speech about themselves, and for a lot of them, if not all of them, it's their first time ex- like expressing themselves that uniquely to a group of people. It's like they own they own themselves. You know what I mean? And and that's why I really believe in what the work that I'm doing right now. And like volunteering is great. Like it was wonderful. But now we have a lot of volunteering groups. You know, it's more of like, you know, I've done that. So I shouldn't work on that more. But it is like, it is something that we have now. We have volunteering groups, we have people going, we have all of that happening. Yeah, so, and I love like seeing the youth and how, and how Kirkuk can be so diverse. Because even for me, like being someone who is like traveling a lot and seeing a lot of things, it could be like hard for me to see like a lot of different kinds of people in Kirkuk because it's a small city. It's just a place, as I said, like with limited. I mean, at least maybe compared. I mean, compared to Beirut, it is definitely very limited in opportunities and resources. So, like seeing how the youth are so unique and them owning to what they're doing and actually going after it. And it's just like going after a doctor degree and I'm going to do that and that. You know what I mean? It's like seeing how they can be different and just going about it and having having a place where they actually belong to that. And I think that's what, you know, I'm doing with my work now. Like it's more of like a safe space, a safe family thing. And, and that's the thing, like, in, in Iraq, we have a lot of things, we have a lot of that with family, you know what I mean? It's like, you're, you don't kind of depend so much on your friends, you know, you just depend on your family. But it's more of like, now we have a small community where, you know, you can express yourself and be yourself and we can support you. And, and like, even though, like, I can do other things, but that's, that's something that I want to be part of. So it sounds like you're, you're hopeful for the future in Iraq. Yeah, I'm very hopeful, and and it's like so weird. Like last year, I was awarded because I was like one of the founders of the first volunteering group in Iraq. In you know, in Iraq and mostly in Kirkuk. But now, just now, we have tons and tons of groups, and that really makes me hopeful. So like now, we have Toastmasters where people can express themselves and be unique and be goofy and be you know what I mean without being killed and all that. And like, let's see what happens next year. Like, so yeah, things can really go. Awesome. So what I'm going to do is, um, there's a lot of things you're involved in. I think your organization is called COCAR. Yeah, yeah, that's um, COCAR Institute. And like, when I started working, like just recently, like, oh, like six months now, we're in Institute, so it wasn't always. So what I'm going to do for people is I'm going to link to that, uh, link to your social media and all that so people uh, can access that. 
uh, can reach out to you, can learn about you and the work that you're doing. Um, but I have one last question for you. You mentioned, yeah, sure, you mentioned earlier that when you were young, you were in a band. Did you ever record yeah. any music with that band? I had some awkward, awkward music videos and weird things that I've been doing. And, and I'm not always vocal about my band. Okay. Yeah, so... So then we, we won't embarrass you and we won't share that with anybody. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, people are like, Sarah, they respect me hugely. And seeing that I had a band is weird, man. Like, like band, really? <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, all right, so Sarah, thank you so much. This was really amazing to get to talk to you today. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, thank you. So for, again, for everybody, go check out the show notes for this episode and the links and um, follow Sarah. That's a wrap on episode number 126 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Rock is a place that my voyages have not taken me, but it's a place I would really love to go. Especially, you know, having taught history and still being involved in education and coaching history teachers, Iraq is, it's, we, we teach it as the cradle of civilization. So there's a, there's a lot of history there, uh, quite an amazing place. And uh, I also am hopeful for the future of Iraq as Sarah is. Please make sure you go to the show notes for this episode to find all the links to see Sarah and the organizations that she's a part of. And you'll also see a link to my Patreon account. All right, folks, thank you as always for listening. We are entering fall here, my favorite season, so hopefully I'll have a lot of cool stuff for you here in the fall. I know we're not there yet, but wishful thinking, it's still going to be hot this week. Anyway, um, so yeah, looking forward to that stuff. Thanks for listening, folks, and as always, please take care of each other. I will catch you next time.